Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I was joined by my buddy Ben Baldwin. Um, you know, to kind of go around the NFL and talk about some of the big macro things that are happening in the league right now. You know, the uh, the evolution of the game as it relates to passing on first down, uh, you know, kind of what has happened to some of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, we have two really young quarterbacks in the Super Bowl right now, Jimmy Garoppolo and Patrick Mahomes. So many more teams are playing the Kansas City Chiefs way. Then, of course, you know, we did talk about the Tennessee Titans run. We talked about the fraudulent green. Bay Packers. Also, a quick apology. My audio in this episode is not very good. I thought that I was connected to my good mic that I'm speaking to you on right now. Unfortunately, I was not on my good mic. I was just using my computer audio. So the audio quality, not exactly where I would generally like it to be for these episodes. So uh, I, I do uh, I do apologize for that. I hope that uh, it's not too much of a bother for you guys. And uh, yeah, I hope that you guys enjoy the episode. Of course, we are sponsored by DailyRoto.com. You can get 10% off of the best uh, projections in the daily fantasy industry using their promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. You can get bonus Bonus episodes of this podcast at patreon.com slash takecast. Uh, that's uh, $5 a month or $1 a month if you want. Uh, you can just kind of support the show, get bonus episodes, so on and so forth. And uh, also, you can just leave a rating and review on iTunes. That is always very useful and very helpful as well. And now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone. Bringing in Ben Baldwin. You guys know after watching Derrick Henry get vanquished and after watching Aaron Rodgers flail around like uh, like just fancy Blake Bortles, we, we had to bring Ben on the podcast uh, for, for championship week before the Super Bowl. Ben, what, what, just, what, what was your emotions like watching the Packers against the 49ers? It was – I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy myself, but it was so similar to the first Packers-49ers game that it was – um, like sort of the 
the novelty factor was gone in a way. It's like, we've already seen this once and nobody should be surprised that we're seeing it again. It's hilarious that it happened in the playoffs and the Packers were the team that everybody other than Packers fans thought they were. So it was, it was, um, it was very enjoyable to watch in the moment. And um, looking forward, I'm, I'm very excited about um, the prospect of this Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl and not having like Titans Packers or something oh, like that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine <laughs> a, a Titans Packers Super Bowl? Would have um, just been would have just been the worst. Would it would have been no fun for anyone? I so I, I actually really like the Titans. I think they're fun to watch and AJ Brown is amazing, but just trying to get excited for that particular matchup and the discussion that would go on for two weeks going into that would just be a nightmare. So I'm I'm glad that we got safe from that. <laughs> So this is actually later down our show sheet, but I, I actually decided I want to start here. Uh, the, the Packers, they, they really were the most fraudulent team, I think, to ever be 13-3, and three, ever. And, I, you know, I kind of have some of my own ideas as to, uh, you know, how they were able to get there. But, but from your perspective, how were they able to get to 13-3, the NFC Conference Championship game? I mean, is this one of the luckiest teams we've seen in the last decade? Yeah, I think for sure. So they had... They had so many things go their way. So number one is they were very healthy. Um, when they, by the time they got to the divisional round against Seattle, they had had a week of rest. Um, all their players were back except for uh, Brian Bulaga, the right tackle who missed the game. And the Seahawks were down all these players because most teams are at this time of the season. And they like all their key players were there in the game. And that, that's not true for most teams. So looking ahead to next year, we should not expect that to happen um the next one is they won a ridiculous amount of close games and um everything we know says that um there's no reason to expect that to continue i mean um, just close games are random right like just the, yeah, the outcome right. of, of three score or uh you know one <laughs> score games is like i mean it's not random but it is it certainly is one of those things that is more random than not yeah that's right so uh every offseason bill barnwell has this article about here are, the t- here are the teams we expect to be worse um, uh, this year than last year, looking ahead to the next season. And um, one of the categories he uses is record in one-score games. Um, and um, one of the – so, for example, last year the Cowboys had an amazing record in one-score games, and obviously things like that don't continue. So they got worse – or they had a worse record this year, even though the team was actually probably better. So uh, for the Packers, we should also expect that to regress in addition to the injuries. And then third, they were just really lucky with – how their schedule set up. So like they, they, they had to play the chiefs, but uh, Mahomes didn't play. So um, even the, the good teams they did play, they had these advantages that other teams didn't have to play. So they didn't play, like they didn't have to play the Ravens. They played the 49ers and, once. And, and, and it is worth demolished. noting they gave up 337 yards in that game. And that was a one score game that, that Matt Moore Packers game was. Yeah, it went, it was, so it was a great game, which is good because it was the Sunday night game. But playing a great game against Matt Moore is not a good sign for how good your team is. <laughs> right, um, yeah. So just thinking about who the best teams were this year, um, like the Chiefs were, but they didn't play Matt Moore. Um, they didn't play the Ravens. They didn't play the Saints. They played the 49ers once and got killed. And um, they played the NFC East, uh, which was not very good this year. Um, and they... Um, they they had a nice schedule. They they won all the close games they played, almost all the close games they played, except for the, that Eagles one. Uh, they were healthy, and then they drew the Seahawks in the divisional round, which is another huge stroke of luck because 
the Seahawks themselves won a lot of close games and they weren't that good in the first place. Yeah, Seahawks, not that good. (laughs) Very injured. Yeah, so there was, after the divisional round game, there was all this victory laughing by Packers fans saying, like, oh, everyone said we're bad and nobody believed on us. And look, um, we beat the Seahawks. We're in the NFC Championship game. But all the people that were saying the Packers weren't very good were also saying that the Seahawks weren't very good. So winning a home game with an extra week of rest isn't really... Like, yeah, it's an accomplishment to get to the NFC Championship game, but beating the Seahawks at home doesn't mean that you're actually a good team because the Seahawks... Yeah, I mean, they, 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 they would have they lost that game by... Uh, I mean, they would have lost that game by 10 had Seattle's second half offense been their first half offense, I think that, that, that would be, that would be the line I would set. If, if the Seahawks were like 80, 20 pass to run ratio, I think that uh, it, it would just be a smash. Yeah. Well, I think Seattle's offense would smash Green Bay's defense, but Seattle's defense was also legitimately also bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> so also Green, not very good. Yeah. Green, Green Bay's uh, offense did look, good in that game and hats off to them for exploiting Seattle's defense but again Seattle's defense is bad so um you, yeah, you should so we be expect to... that yeah but right. when you play against the 49ers then it's not quite so easy and that's exactly what we saw so that that's my set of reasons for why the Packers actually weren't that good this year despite their record and we shouldn't expect them to be anywhere near 13 and 3 next year yeah I I, I... I mean, well, actually, here's a great question. If you are the Green Bay Packers, are you are you drafting uh, Jordan Love? Are you drafting Jalen Hurts? Are you drafting uh, Jacob Eason? Any of these? Uh, any of these? You know, second, third, fourth round quarterbacks. So I I actually think I would not, just because they have so much money tied into Aaron Rodgers, and even though I'm not super optimistic on him having a late career resurgence, they kind of just have to ride him for the next couple of years. So I would just draft receivers and hope that like having a speedy deep threat and um, maybe upgrading tight end, I'm assuming they're going to cut Jimmy Graham. Um, maybe if, if he has the best. He's, offensive he's such a noted good guy though. Don't you think, don't you think he would just like really like relish teaching, you know, all the things that oh. he knows about playing quarterback to someone like he yeah. probably, like I can't really think of any quarterback in the NFL who would really, just love having like a younger quarterback to teach more than, I mean, maybe Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger, a big, a big teacher of the position as well. I think those two guys, you know, they just love having a younger guy on the team to teach. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing that is, I'm, I'm sure the Packers would have to keep in mind would be what, what that would do to the locker room. And I, I'm not in the locker room, so I don't actually know, but I, I would just roll the dice on upgrading receiving options and, if he's not able to succeed with the best defensive line in the league and the best running game in the league or close to it and an amazing group of receivers, then like, then we would really, really know for sure that they would need to move on. But I, I think I would give another shot with an upgraded receiving core. I mean, it would be, I, I will say this, it is a, a year where they will be able to draft someone with, you know, a, a later pick in the twenties, uh, even in the second round, I think they are for sure going to be able to draft someone who's good. This is, uh, it's, it's not quite as deep as we thought, you know, some guys going back to school and everything, as always happens. But this is, I think, probably one of the best, like, pre-draft wide receiver classes we've seen since the crazy 2014 class. Yeah, I thought they were going to draft someone last year, and they had two first-round picks, and they just didn't. So, <laughs> who knows what they're going to do this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. But no one, I, like, that's the, the Packers are a team that does things in a very particular way they are uh, I actually like this that they do this but they have um they have a lot of thresholds uh so like they have like okay we're drafting 
guys that are this size. We're drafting guys that are, you know, have the, like passed these athletic measurements. And um, like, I, like, I think that's a good thing. I think more teams should do that than not, but that does mean that sometimes they are, are not always drafting for players that their roster really needs. Yeah. They, uh, the Seahawks do that with thresholds. So everyone talks about like arm length for cornerbacks and it, at one point it seemed to serve them well, but if, if all the other teams start using similar ideas, then that edge is kind of gone. Right. Yeah. So our Ravens, they lost, they lost to the Tennessee Titans and, um, I, I'll be honest, ever, I, I can't stop thinking about that game because I, I really think that they I think that they got spectacularly unlucky. I really do. I think that um, the obviously the Mark Andrews drop that turned into an interception, you know, and then it was the first time all year that they failed on fourth down, fourth and one and they failed on fourth and one twice. So what just just take me through your experience of, of sweating that game out. Yeah, I, I I agree. So if the better team always won, then there'd be no reason to watch, right? So sometimes right. stuff happen and it's not it's not being a sore loser or being or having sour grapes if you say that the better team didn't win this time. And and I think that's what happened this time. So um at the start of the game there was <clears throat> uh there was that drop to turn in it into the interception, the, the first Tennessee touchdown was on, I think it was like a third and 12, and it was that amazing catch in the back of the end zone. So I still am not sure that was a catch, <laughs> to be honest. I, so I, I think I, there was one angle that convinced me it was a catch. And even if it wasn't a catch, well, they, they counted it as a catch. And, and that was, so that was the difference between three points and seven points. Then there was the, the fourth and one, where they got stopped and then directly after that led to another Titans touchdown. And then the end of the first half after that bomb to uh, Marquise Brown, um, the Ravens got stopped and that was, um, that became three points instead of seven points. So it was, it was like, it was 14, six at halftime and when it could have been 14, 10. And then right after that was the other fourth and one where they got stopped and then that turned into another Titans touchdown. Uh, and then there was uh the Lamar strip sack, which turned in, I think that turned in, in, into another Titans touchdown. So there's all these little plays where, yeah, any football game is going to come down to a few high leverage plays. And in this game, the Titans just had all of them go their way. They scored touchdowns in all their red zone possessions. And the Ravens are one of the best rushing offenses we've ever seen and, and getting stopped on fourth and one two out of two times. is just such a low probability event. Same with that um, that one-handed touchdown catch, and they just kind of all hit in the same game. Um, so it was unlucky, but I don't think it should tell the Ravens that they were doing anything wrong or they're on the wrong path. Um, they'll have most of their players back next year, and I, I think they should be a really good team next year. So um, here's hoping. So if you were in charge of the Baltimore Ravens, how would you go about – creating a team that was a little bit more anti-fragile because uh, something that we did see in, in both of the games in the Cleveland Browns game and in this game against the Titans for the Ravens is it's not that the offense was bad or that they were a bad passing offense or that they couldn't pass, but the offense was not built to play from 10 points behind. 
So when they got behind in that, in that Browns game and in the Titans game, they abandoned the pistol entirely. They were just running, you know, just straight um, 11 personnel uh, Ingram next to Lamar and they weren't even using the play action a ton. And uh, I think as we all saw during that game as well, you know, Seth Roberts, uh, Chris Moore, Willie Sneed, these guys, these guys are not cutting it. So, I mean, you know, if I am in charge of the Baltimore Ravens, I'm going, bring me Amari Cooper, bring me CD Lamb, you know, do what I need to do to get another, you know, super elite playmaker in that offense. Because Marquise Brown is more like Tyreek Hill than Julio Jones in the sense that you're not, you're not giving that guy 160 targets a year. He's like, he's like optimally used on like a hundred plays a year. So where, where are you at with like the Ravens team design? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that wide receiver is the obvious hole that they have. And um, it, it's unfortunate to say that because last year they used first and third round picks on receivers. So it was Marquise Brown and then um, the Boykin guy out of Notre Dame in the third round. Boykin is just, he's like, that guy's a tight end. <laughs> yeah. So he, I remember he was like super athletic and, Everyone wanted the Seahawks to draft him, but then he, he, at least my memory is that he didn't do a ton his rookie year. So hopefully those two I, guys. I, think, will... I literally think he had like five touchdowns on like 17 targets. Okay. <laughs> um, so hopefully those guys take a step forward, but yeah, absolutely. They need um, like their, their offensive line's really good. They have a million good tight ends. Um, their defense was very good, especially after the Marcus Peters trade. So the the one thing that they're missing is just firepower to be able to come back from the hole um, like we've seen the Chiefs be able to do. Yeah, I think I think that that is um, yeah. I mean I, that is sort of the the straightforward thing that you know anyone looking at them from the outside would think. I I think they probably from like um, you know an organizational philosophy level. I think they have to decide you know, how much do we really want to, to run Lamar? Like, do we want to try and win, you know, two Super Bowls with Lamar in the next five seasons? Or do we want Lamar Jackson to be the quarterback of our franchise for the next 10 years? And I think that the way that they design the offenses, I kind of think those ideals are mutually exclusive. Or, or do you think that that is like, it's just one of those things you can't plan and, and you just got to use Lamar to the best of his abilities right now? I, I think that's a really good question, and I don't think the answer is super obvious. The good thing about having stability in the organization is that you could see, like, if there were a coach or GM who thought their job were in jeopardy, they would just say, we have this quarterback on this rookie contract, so let's run him into the ground, and if he doesn't survive, then, like, oh well. But it it's a very stable and well-run organization, so they're they're probably going to do what is in the best interest of the franchise and Lamar in the long term. So I'm guessing they'll have to think about how many hits they wanted to take. That was eventually a, a decision that whether it was due to Russell Wilson or the organization, he ran a lot in his first few years and then really, really cut down, especially in the first half of games after that. And right. as a fan of the team, it's really frustrating to watch because those plays are so effective when you're scrambling and picking up first down, especially on third down. And for the Ravens, when their rushing offense is partially designed about around that, but there, there's still that fear factor of every time your quarterback gets hit, there's the potential for a franchise-altering injury to happen. Yeah, and I mean, like I, like I could not be any more invested in Lamar. Like I think he is 
Um, and, and this is something like I remember when I, you and I were on the show the first time, you know, way back like two years ago, I was just talking about how like, well, something we talked about was just, you know, quarterback runs are so valuable and they are so much better than, uh, you know, they're, they're so much better than running back runs and having the ability, you know, you play 11 on 11 and so on and so forth. So I, you know, our, it's, they will always be our Ravens, even if they lost to Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. So uh, a subject you know, near and dear to your heart. You wrote this uh, great article on The Athletic. I would encourage all of you guys to go read it uh, if you have The Athletic subscription. But I, I think that you and I both agree that Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer either need to drastically change their approach to football in uh, 2020 or they, they need to be replaced. And I, I'm wondering if you have any names of guys who you think would be good replacements. So the the two names I mentioned in the article, I was just trying to think of people whose names were floated as head coach candidates who had a proven track record with being involved in creative offenses. Um, and and the two names I said were Eric Bieniemy and uh, Greg Roman. So that's the offensive coordinators from the Chiefs and Ravens. The the Bieniemy one is frustrating. So. Taking a step back, there's Pete Carroll's going to be the coach of the Seahawks in 2020 if Pete Carroll wants to be. So this right. is all, yeah, they're not like, firing <laughs> Pete Carroll. Yeah, so the the Seahawks are going to keep Pete Carroll. This is more like a interesting uh, hypothetical um, thinking out loud kind of thing. Like if I were running the Seahawks, what would I do? And I'm not saying I'm I'd be better at running the Seahawks than the people currently doing it. It's just kind of one of the one of the fun parts of falling sports is saying what would I do in this situation and and what do I think could be better done for the team that I care about? So going back to the Seahawks, we've seen so many different people who were under Andy Reid go on to have success in other places. And we've obviously seen this current chiefs offense do very, very well. And um, unfortunately, probably in part due to his skin color, Eric Bieniemy has not been able to get a head coaching job. But if I were, picking names to put forward as candidates for the, for the Seahawks, he would be the person that I would start with. I mean, imagine, imagine Russell Wilson running the, the Kansas city chiefs offense with all, with all of the, I mean, I mean, Russell Wilson, even at the age of uh, what is he 30 or 31? I don't know. Uh, this, but He just turned 31. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even at 31, like he is more athletic and faster and, and, more agile than Patrick Mahomes is at his age. Like he is even better at some of the things that Patrick Mahomes is better than everyone else at. So like, I, I cannot really imagine how amazing he would look running that, you know, hyper modern offense. Like it, it, it's like, sometimes it, like you feel like Schottenheimer and Carol wish they were just running like the wing tee. Yeah. If, if they could win games that way, I'm sure they would be perfectly happy to do it. That's what it feels like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, it is wild. And I just, I just really do not understand how they all year long, they looked at this offense and they said, okay, we got Russell Wilson and Chris Carson and we just, we got to put the game in Chris Carson's hand. It just, it really does make no sense to me. Yeah. And I'm sure they watched the NFC championship game and watched the 49ers and said, that's how we want to win games. If, if our quarterback is throwing eight times, then that's great. That's, that's ideal football. And yeah, it's great if you can blow out your opponent and your the opposing offense doesn't score in the first half and you can run as many times as you want. But the Seahawks haven't been a great running team. They don't have... Um, well, isn't their offensive line horrible? 
Yeah. So yeah, their offensive line is bad at run blocking and pass protection too, for that matter. So, and they don't do all these creative things with the run game that create these holes that the 49ers did. So even, even when they're determined to run, they don't exactly make things easier on themselves. Like, uh, your 49ers or Ravens do. Yeah. I mean, I like that. I, that's actually, that's actually something I was talking about, um, with Michael Leone on a podcast earlier today was just like, there's a difference between what like the Titans do, which is just, okay, Derek Henry, you're going to go run behind the left guard and you're going to run in a straight line until you get tackled versus what the 49ers do, which is like their running game is just has, you know, just as many moving parts and is just as intricate. And, um, you know, forward thinking as like, as like a good passing offense, like they do so many things to confuse the defense on a running play. It's not like they're just like, all right, we're, we're lining our guys up. And if we beat you, we beat you. And if you, and if you beat us, then you win the play. Like, you know, like that 1940s college football crap. Yeah. And, and the Ravens too, and the Chiefs too. Um, there was this article on ESPN by Seth Walder where they, um, ESPN has access to the player tracking data. So they were just looking at this simple measure of the percent of snaps where the offense had a player in motion at the snap. And, and they found that um, not surprisingly um, teams who had a man moving at the snap, um, those plays were more successful because the defense has to kind of be thinking and make these split second decisions. And it's just harder to defend and teams like the Ravens and the Chiefs, Chiefs and the 49ers were up at the top of the list and then uh, not surprisingly again the, the, the Seahawks were much lower down because they they just want to line up and beat you and they just don't have the talent to do that which is I mean and even if you even if you do have the talent to do it like even like the 49ers they have this amazing offensive line they have you know one of the best run blocking fullbacks in football and all this stuff and even they don't like you know they're they're not thinking okay we're, we're gonna just try and line up and beat you like like they're not they're not thinking in like that stone age way. Yeah, and they even the stuff like getting the ball to Debo Samuel on the edge and just watching those plays destroy the Packers like it, it's so hard to think of plays where the Seahawks have done anything like that. Yeah. Um all right, so I a great question every time you come on the show. Do we think that the Giants will have one winning season with Dave Gettleman as the general manager? So I think the answer is no, and I think it's because Daniel Jones is bad, and that's kind of Gettleman's pick. And if Jones goes down, then maybe that would finally be what convinced the Giants to move on from him. What yeah, do you think? I mean that would be that would be that would be the only thing. I guess I mean, well, there it certainly is possible. Like it's in the range of outcomes that Daniel Jones might be good, right? Like he he had enough flashes as a rookie like he might be his issue is just like he is one of the most careless uh with the ball of any quarterback I've ever seen in my life yeah his his fumble rate was insane um his yeah he I I so he had he had 15 fumbles in 12 games 15 fumbles lost that does not include all the ones that he fumbled and was able to recover Yeah, and he like even setting that aside, it's not like he was a great passer. The the one thing he has is mobility, but that's not really uh as Bills fans well, I guess Bills fans think their quarterback is good, but as non Bills mm, fans not all watch, Bills fans. Bills fans are like they like they they are always at war with each other because there's there's like the rational Bills fan and then there's the Bills fan that's like 
you know, Josh Allen, heart of a champion, like, uh, like the guy who, like the guy who watches that lateral play that Josh Allen did and it just, like <laughs> tries to defend it. So I, in my mind, I just, I have like Bortles, Daniel Jones, Trubisky, Josh Allen. I just kind of all have all those guys in the same category and, until I'm proven wrong, that's just going to be my Daniel assumption. Jones. Daniel Jones is better than Mitch Trubisky. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the record with that one. He's better than Trubisky. I think that's I think that's probably true. He can throw it to the left side of the field. So <laughs> he's got that going for him. And and the things that Daniel Jones does super bad are he he literally is incapable of feeling the pressure from the backside, which is like I would say. Uh, if you're going to be a, uh, you know, a, a, a passing quarterback and not a guy who's always on the move, that's like the number one skill that you have to have. And then um, he also is like, he's, he's like, certainly he's not like super accurate. Like it's not like he's Drew Brees back there. He's more in the Trubisky bucket of accuracy, but he's not as bad as Josh Allen either. <laughs> so he has the fumble problem of Jared Goff with the accuracy of Trubisky. <laughs> mm, it's not great. It's not great. It's not great. Uh, I will say this though: they're gonna be. There's gonna be a lot of like suck it haters moments for the Giants next year when they play bad teams because they have like. It's actually it's actually kind of crazy. They just have exclusively good players on offense. Like every Giants offensive skill position player is really good. Uh, you know they don't have they do not have Odell Beckham, which obviously would have made things easier. But you know Golden Tate. Uh, uh, Evan Ingram, like obviously Saquon is good for a running back and, um, you know, Sterling Shepard. And then it, the, the kid from Auburn, uh, Jerry Slayton, like he's way better than anyone thought. Like they have yeah. a lot of guys who are like going to be able to help that offense score touchdowns. So Daniel Jones is going to have like some of those like 350 yard, four touchdown games, uh, like in, you know, losses to the Miami Dolphins or whatever. Yeah. he's He's got a shot. It, it's not like he's going to be buried like, Josh Rosen, who never really had a chance, or even Sam Darnold in his first couple of years. So if if he is good, then he should have a chance to show it. And if he doesn't, then the, the track record for quarterbacks who are bad in their first two years is not very encouraging. So it, it, for Giants fans, I, I hope he does have a better season. And, and No, I don't. I want, I want all Giants fans to suffer. Yeah. I, 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 feel, I feel no positive. They're one of the only NFL teams that I feel like no positive feelings for i don't want any of them to do well because they're like everyone everyone listening to this right now they're just like also busy telling themselves that elon manning is a hall of famer <laughs> yeah i so the the easy way to root against the giants is to just remember gettleman and everything he's said and done <laughs> but the my devil's advocate is that football is more fun when there's more good quarterbacks so from that standpoint it'd sure be fun if you yeah could. that's true um I, I'm just not super optimistic on that happening. So, all right. Relative to league average over, you know, over, let's say our lifetimes, so, you know, 30, 30 years or whatever, is the 2018-20 the Chiefs offense with Mahomes the most impressive ever? So, so going back 30 years is definitely longer than, longer of a time frame than I should really talk about. The The only competition I can think of is, some of those Patriots seasons. So oh, they had, I was going to say, I was going to say the Broncos, the the first Manning Broncos year. Yeah. So those like the 2012, 2012, 2013. So those were good. And then I think it was like the, the 20, 
10 and 2011 Patriots, which everyone kind of forgot about because they neither one of those teams won a Super Bowl, but by measures like DVOA and things like that, they were just like destroying people and they they just they had these two weird playoff losses. So everyone forgot about those teams. You know, uh, you know how I got reminded of those teams? Watching uh, the Aaron Her- watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary on Netflix, I was reminded uh, that Aaron Hernandez <laughs> was on the 18 and 1 uh uh Patriots team that lost to in the in the David Tyree helmet game. Like in that isn't that just like the most odd intersection of history you can think of? I didn't realize he was on them yeah back that far. I so yeah, I guess like the, it, it it feels so it feels like new like the Aaron Hernandez thing feels new but that's when he played. Um so I think the other Peyton Manning fans will get mad at us if we don't mention um so like a lot of history nerds think that the 24 or 2004 Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback season of all time. So maybe a couple of those Colts teams around then would be the other competition, but didn't even, didn't even lead the league in passing yards, dude. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to throw that out there, but maybe it's recency bias or just in terms of fun to watch them. But this, this chief, the, the chiefs teams of the past two years have just been so much fun. Yeah, I mean, like uh, only only real people remember uh, Brandon Stokely and uh, and James Mungro and Ben Hartsock and Dominic Rhodes playing on third downs. What's actually funny is that uh, either this year or the 2005 season was the first year that I started playing fantasy football, and so that was like obviously you know the Colts they were scoring a, a zillion touchdowns and they had three a thousand yard wide receivers. So that, that they were just like very prominently involved uh, in my first fantasy football memories. So I do remember these teams and I still think the chiefs are better. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue in terms of just like pure talent. I, I think Mahomes, like, it sounds crazy to say, cause he's in what his third year in the league, but he's got to be up there in, in terms of quarterbacks who have played. I mean, like, uh, so I would say this from like, um, from like, just like watching the games. And I know, I know you don't like football, so you actually never watch the games. <laughs> but I, I actually can't ever remember watching Mahomes and thinking, oh well, like he's like they're not gonna win. They can't win. Like they can't. Like I don't. Like there were a lot of, like I was not sweating during that Texans game. And I, I actually still remain shocked that they lost that Patriots AFC conference championship game last year. Cause I do, I think they were such clearly the better team. Yeah. They, I mean, we've been talking about how amazing Mahomes is, but in the first half of that game, he just missed some throws like the one, I think it was Damian Williams in the end zone where Mahomes just sailed it over his head. Early yeah, in that the was game. tough. Um, like if he hit that throw or if the forward hadn't lined up off sides or if they had won the coin toss or if the chiefs had gotten one of third, three, third and 10 stops in overtime. Like there's just, there are so many chances for the chiefs to win that game. And I think that if they play that game 10 times, I think the chiefs would win more than five of them, but they just, they couldn't get a break in that game. And that, that roughing the passer penalty where someone's like finger grazed Tom Brady's helmet too. <laughs> the, I mean the the I I'll never not think about the D forward offside so tilting because like it's just over like it, it doesn't go to overtime that game is it's just over the Chiefs win and uh, D forward lining up off you know encroaching on a play that uh, you know he he didn't even in, he didn't it didn't even matter to the play it's just so it's so frustrating. 
So the, yeah, the last and, thing and, that I wanted to talk uh, to you about, though, uh, well, no, go ahead. If you have another oh, yeah, on that if, game. If D Ford hadn't lined up offsides, we would have been spared the whole offseason of the Kareem Hunt mattered a lot to, to the Chiefs talk to. <laughs> well, uh, how about how about Kareem Hunt mattered a lot to the Chiefs uh, and Sony Michelle was a good draft pick because it led to a Super Bowl win for the Patriots? Yeah, if, yeah if, if that one game had flipped, then both of those would have been um, kind of extinguished. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very ready for Bill Belichick and the Patriots to start getting canceled as like I because like, I think the most likely scenario is that Brady comes back and plays another year and looks even worse. Like it's just, it's going to get, it's going to, you know, cause eventually he's going to show up and he's going to be that last season of Peyton Manning. Right. Where it's just like, he like Brock Osweiler was the same thing as uh, final year Peyton Manning. And I don't know if it's going to be this year, but eventually Tom Brady is going to be trying to play quarterback and his body is going to be unable to do it. Right. Yep. That's right. I, I don't think, at least when I watched him, it didn't look like he was declining hard. I, I think there's definitely truth yeah. to um, didn't the look Patriots that bad. just not having anyone to throw to this year. So if he does come back, then they've got to add somebody other than 30-whatever-year-old Julian Edelman. Um, this, but, this final Peyton Manning season, I, I have on, I've forgotten. So he went 7-2 and two with this team, won the Super Bowl. His TD to interception ratio was 9 to 17. His YPA was 6.8. His adjusted yards per attempt was 5. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his QBR was like 44 or something, too. And yeah, that's 40, 40, yeah, 43.9. That's crazy. He t- and he took 16 sacks in nine games. <laughs> just, oh, just, that's just, that's, uh, it's really, it's really wild stuff. Uh, okay, so the last thing that I want to talk to you about before we uh, before we head out of here is, you know, we we did see the NFL, you know, uh, despite what uh, you know all the boomer broadcasters would say of, of the top four rushing teams all making the playoffs, we did see the NFL become even more pass heavy, even more high scoring in 2019, and you know, I, I obviously think that that's going to be a huge trend continuing forward into 2020. Where do you see things evolving in in the short term? Yeah, so. The, the nerds like you and me have been saying for years that uh, NFL teams are running more than they need to. You only need to run some minimum amount of the time to make defenses um, feel the threat of the run and make play action work, but there's no need to run 55% of the time on first downs uh, like teams do. And over the last couple of years, we've seen uh, the league as a whole and uh, some teams, especially the Chiefs, start to really push the boundaries on how much you can pass and still have passing be super effective. And we still haven't seen any evidence that increasing passing rates so high has harmed the efficiency of passing. We haven't seen any evidence that defenses have adjusted to uh, take away the pass in, in light of this. And I think for the Chiefs, it was when the game was close, I think it was like 70% of the time that they passed on first and second downs, which is just like an outrageously higher number than anyone was doing even five years ago or even what teams like the Seahawks are doing. So all the people that said teams can't pass more because then the pass will stop working. Well, we've, we've seen that we didn't have any reason to believe that at the time. And we've seen evidence now that that was never true. So um, 
especially if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, then I think teams will continue to experiment with pushing the boundaries on how pass heavy they can go, especially the ones with um, the most talented quarterbacks, uh, Seahawks aside. Um, and I'm looking forward to see seeing how it goes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I am also very interested. And the thing I'm most curious about is if some of the boomer teams do <laughs> some self-scouting over the offseason and they say, you know, it's just really not going to be possible for us to win at the highest level if we don't start investing in, you know, tackles, wide receivers, edge rushers, cornerbacks, and, and good offensive coordinators. Like, because, yeah, we like to hate on the NFL, and we like to be like, oh, you know, they, they, it's, it's full of nepotism, which obviously it's like massively, uh, you know, full of nepotism-related hires and everything. But, I mean, these guys are still good football coaches, like, for, for the most part. And yep, yep. I, I think – like, and also – guys in football do not like to lose right like that's that's also a huge thing like who likes to get their ass kicked certainly no one in football likes to lose and so I I I actually think that sort of gradually we are going to see some of these uh guys go like the Mark the Mike McCarthy thing where he's like oh actually I just spent my whole off season of not having a job uh learning what analytics is and learning why passing is so important and all of that stuff and I, I I wonder if you know, I, I basically, I just wonder if there's just going to be a change in mindset because people hate to lose so much. Yeah, and also some of the new, like as as you call them, the the boomer coaches, as they age out of the league and get replaced with um, people with different perspectives, then that can also be where some of the shift comes from. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I, the I think the pessimistic view is that there are a lot of coaches that will look at what the 49ers did yep. and say that looks awesome. That's how we want to win. That's how we want to build our team. And we want to win a conference championship game, throwing the ball eight times because that's how football is meant to be played. And the, yes, it worked for the 49ers, but it's running the ball in the NFL is so hard that it's just so hard to um, expect ahead of time to be able to do that because most teams, the Packers aside, are so good at stopping the run that it's most of the time it's not really um, a strategy that you can expect to consistently win with. Yeah, and, and, and I, I think that you make a good point, which is just that a lot of these dudes who are 70 years old, 65 years old coaching the NFL, they just they are going to decide, like, all right, this is not it for me anymore. It's, it's actually still – I, I forget about every three months that Pete Carroll is the oldest and boomeriest head coach in the league. Like I, I really forget that he's the oldest. You you look at some of the other guys, like I would guess Bill O'Brien was 72. I have no idea how old he actually is, but I would just guess that's how old he is. But Pete Carroll is older. Yeah. Pete, I, I can't even, Oh, I guess Bill Belichick is kind of the other one who's probably up there, but Belichick is for someone who's been around a long time, seems much more, flexible in his beliefs and he really will do whatever to win rather than wanting to adhere to some philosophy that the problem with Carroll is that he believes in his heart that the run heavy approach is how to win games and if he's not winning games it's because he didn't commit to the run or invest enough resources in the run or all these kind of things and there's just no getting him off this position no matter how much evidence is presented to him 
Uh, yeah, so he's um, what there's like uh, Pete Carroll and Schottenheimer. They there's like a magic number they believe in, right? <laughs> like like runs plus completions, like successful plays, isn't it? It's like forty two or something. Am I am I yes. right or wrong about that? Yes. Yeah, so they're different coaches have different numbers, which is a red flag already. But for Brian Schottenheimer, the number is fifty three, and that's the number of rush attempts plus completions that you need to win a game. And dude, I love it. Is, I love yeah. that so much. That's it's the, the most boomer thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently this is like, it came from Bill Parcells and then um, Tom Cable, Seattle's old offensive line coach talked about this. And then there's um, this quote from Pete Carroll talking about um, how Tom Cable is always on top of the numbers like this. And then Brian Schottenheimer uh, last year talked about, how important this rule of 53 is. So that this is the team that I cover. You do. You, you, you love to see it. All <laughs> right. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I always, I always love chatting football with you. I feel like I get smarter and that I understand the game better. Uh, tell people what you guys have going on over at The Athletic right now. Yeah. Um, so we're – the Seahawks season's over. Um, we we – discuss the pros and cons of um, keeping Pete Carroll around. Um, ultimately, what I believe isn't going to matter because he's going to be around regardless. Uh, and now uh, I'm not super into draft stuff, but I'll, I'll probably be talking about like bigger league-wide stuff like the Big Datable and other stuff like that. Um, I'm on Twitter at Ben B. Waldwin, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. I've, I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, and it's an awesome one, so uh, keep on rocking. All right, there we go. Everyone, make sure to follow Ben on Twitter. uh, And I guarantee you, he does like football. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.